while the environment is exactly the same in all of the locations, the children, you don't know what you're going to get out of them. You might have a moment that you just have to like drop everything else you're doing for and just move over. If one of the kids is doing something especially cute or constructive, it can change your plans on the fly pretty quick. It's a great environment to shoot. Like the energy in there is fantastic. It's awesome. It's so much fun. I mean, kids in a kitchen, really, you can't get more fun than that. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. There are a lot of elements that go into creating the magic and wonder found at Little Kitchen Academy, and a critical one is the environment itself. The space has been thoughtfully curated to provide the students with the best opportunity to develop their independence through cooking, and that includes being very particular about who is allowed into the environment with the students. Nick and Jamie Green are the couple behind the beautiful videos produced at Little Kitchen Academy. Nick and Jamie are the principals behind Zuropa Video Agency in Canada and the video agency in the United States, and as you'll soon hear, have a diverse and expansive portfolio. Now, it's easy to be impressed with their resumes, but Brian and Felicity were so impressed with them as people that they knew Nick and Jamie were a perfect fit for Little Kitchen Academy. The Green's work has taken them to exotic locations around the world and into the homes of celebrities. But capturing the genuine, organic development of children at Little Kitchen Academy has proven every bit as fulfilling as their high-profile projects. Nick and Jamie were recently able to make time in their busy schedules to meet me in the kitchen, a discussion that began with some exciting news in their personal lives. Now, did I read this right in the email, or did I at least take the inference right that we are just on the other side of nuptials here? Have you guys just been married? <laughs> just. Yeah, Saturday? Yes, yeah, Saturday. Yeah. Wasn't but, planned. I mean, obviously, it was in the cards for 12 years. but yeah. uh, we've been together for almost 13 years, though. So, yeah. <laughs> spontaneous, but not really. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And when I saw you put that in the email, Nick, that you're recently married, again, Congratulations. This is my biggest question for the two of you, given what you do. How did you decide on who was going to capture your special day on video? <laughs> well, it was quite spontaneous. So it doesn't have the production value one might expect out no. of us, which is okay. Because <laughs> a lot of the pressure that was building was to do with that. People were expecting us to have some kind of like avatar looking wedding video or something like that. But we wanted to make it not about work. So it kind of hit us in the moment. Various spontaneous, I would say. Because yeah. even at midnight on Saturday, <laughs> we hadn't really planned on it. And at 1.30 in the morning, we were married. So, yeah, not a lot of pre-production involved no. in that one. <laughs> except for the 12 years of research. Yeah. That's a lot of research. Yeah. That's a lot of R&D. You guys both hail from Grand Forks, British Columbia. Are you high school sweethearts? Did you connect later in life? How did this come to be? Well, we've known each other for a long time. Being both from a small town, you kind of know everybody. So we were, we actually knew each other for what, 10 years, I think, before we, yeah. it was probably 10 years, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Everyone knows everyone at Grand yeah. Forks. So you come across certain people. Yeah. And, yeah mutual could, friends. Yeah. Mutual yeah. friends. And then we uh, reconnected. I went back to Grand Forks after Vancouver Film School. Yeah. And then we started reconnecting around that. Yeah. And then we came back here. And then 12 years later. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and it's not just that you're from the same hometown and that you now happen to be married after reconnecting in life. You guys are in the same industry as well, and you work for the same company. You work together, which is a story I want to explore a little bit more. Let's start with the origin story for both of you, though, as far as work goes. Nick, perhaps you first, and then we'll go to Jamie. Nick, how did you wind up in the film and video industry? At this level, on a dare, in Grand Forks, I was known as the camera guy, the video guy, having been the newspaper reporter and really interested in video since my first video camera, like seven or eight years old. So I was actually filming the job fair in Grand Forks one day, right as I was getting the news that the paper was laying off people and they were downsizing to a one-man show. And I didn't have seniority, so that one man was me. But at the job show was Vancouver Film School doing a booth. And they're like, we have this road show on the go where we're stopping in Vancouver, Calgary, Saskatchewan, whatever it is, and doing scholarships. And a friend of mine dared me after I'd filmed the event itself. We were sitting down looking at the footage. He's like, well, that's what you do. I'm like, yeah, I'll film this and edit it. He's like, no, no, no. We'll drive to Calgary tonight. You catch up with them, bring your demo reel, submit it, and we're, we're off and running. And then I was sort of 50-50. And he goes, oh, maybe you don't like your classroom environment, which I took as a bit of a motivation, being that he's been in the university for like 10 years. I'm like, oh, yeah, you think you don't like classrooms? Okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's get in the car. And we did. We drove one shot to Calgary, submitted the reel, and I got a partial scholarship about three, four weeks later. So it was uh, kind of a shock, actually. I did it thinking, okay, that was funny. That was a fun lark. And then I got accepted. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I have to go now. So it happened really quickly. And we made a short film just running around the woods with fake guns. And that's what got me in. I was quite surprised that would work. But yeah, it was neat. Well, that's interesting because kind of like your marriage, there was a lot of background there, but you didn't exactly know it was going to happen when it happened. What about you, Jamie? How did you get into the film and video industry? Through Nick, actually. Yeah, he was already involved in it and I was doing something else and I just became really interested in it and it just evolved from there, really. It was her memory that got her started. <laughs> I was editing something in one of our older apartments one day and I would have been editing for hours and then she would pipe up from the background going, at you know, three hours ago, at the 12 minute and 14 second mark, they had a better comment. And after this for hours, I mean, do you want to do this? I can teach you how to do this if you're going to keep suggesting the better takes. And she was correct on all of them too, which is I'm sure just an amazing asset in a marriage too, to remember every word ever spoken. Every word. <laughs> yeah. And literally, so we had one client that wanted a lot of bulk editing in a hurry. So she got to just do a pile of edits, like hundreds of edits of very corporate videos, things yeah. like that, honed her skills on those, and then just took off from there. And then producing as well. But that's, again, kind of learned learned as I went. And it's just kind of became very natural to me. So even though I didn't go to film school, I have uh, learned as I went. <laughs> that's amazing. Jamie, did you ever have any apprehension about working together and being a couple? Well, actually, my parents do. So I guess it's not a huge stretch for me, necessarily. It just became very natural. Like I said, it just kind of evolved and it grew and then it became... Europa and the video agency, but my parents own a business together and they've worked together for 15 years, I'd like to say so. Couldn't be more opposite business. No. Uh, her dad builds <laughs> custom shoppers and yeah. cars and restores cars and stuff like that. So what's funny is how well it works is a yeah. lot of couple friends are like, oh, you must just, you know, be at each other all the time. And I can count on one hand how many disagreements yeah. we've had over work-related stuff. I don't it's three, I think, yeah. and even then over eight years, that's pretty great. And it's just, you know, you're on the road for day after day, you might approach something a little, a little different. different than yeah. normal from being tired. But yeah, overall, we don't argue about work. And I think because we both see things differently sometimes, it's actually really good because it'll open up our thoughts on a different way to approach something. It really helps having two views of things, yeah. but also being able to 
to come together and, and agree. Yeah, we keep each other calm. That's a big one. I think that's what makes it work ultimately. We can always bring the other one back down if they're going too far the other direction. And also because we're on the road so much, it would be really hard if we were separate. You know, oh, as yeah. much as we're on the road, if say if he was at home or, or if I was at home and one of us was ruddled. And I'd hate that. So it works well that we get to adventure together, work together, all the, all the things. In 2022, we did 64 or 65 flights together. So when we say we're on the road a lot, it's a lot. It's 55, 60% of the time we're somewhere else. So you would think that would be stressful, but it's not. It's fun every single time. That's great. And it's very clear just having met you now that you guys share a trust, not just personally, but professionally as well, which is obviously the basis of your working relationship. Nick, I'm interested to know how having Jamie handling post-production influences your approach to the work you actually do in the field, knowing that you have her and that's your sounding board, if you will. That's a great question. Jamie being a triple threat, she'll see what's developing on site, make a note whether that needs to be corrected there before it goes into the lens or later. So she knows when to kind of go, we should get that now or that can wait and prioritize things. So that brings quality control way up because in other scenarios, if you're editing, say someone else is editing, they might take the first take they like. Whereas Jamie will note the best tape, giving you the 10 out of 10, not the 8 out of 10. And same goes in Pope, so she knows how to work with it. And her ear for constructing stories, just on grammar level, let alone the emotional level, is great because of her memory. So she'll know when we're missing connective tissue, which can be everything to a video, or just contest, things like that. So she makes people look really good, makes them look their best and sound their best. So it does affect what I'm doing in that I have trust that I might be focused on the technical side, and I can go, what did you think of that take? And she's like, good, move on. And I can do that comfortably and then move on to the next thing that requires my attention on a camera level or a directing level. So it's sometimes, even if uh, Jamie's not on the shoot necessarily, I love it when she comes because it's like a safety blanket, frankly, outside. <laughs> so it's good because I'll be so intense and focused on this something that Jamie will grab. Does it allow you to take some creative chances as well, knowing that if they're right and they feel right, she'll know it. And it's reinforcement there as well. For sure. Especially if we're doing something more like in the ad world or a very complex story, I'll do something where I'm like, this has to be shot one way and it only can work if you think the edit will work. So maybe it's a super technical transition, like a drone going into a gimbal shot or something like that. So I can go, do you think that will work? Or do I need a safety, like a safer version of approaching this, which is great. Cause then when you, do have that, you can take risks, which makes for more interesting content. So Nick, I'm wondering just before we get to Jamie's side of this, do you have a movie or a show back in the day? I know you sort of fell into this, but is there a moment on screen when you were growing up that made you say at any point, I want to do that. I want to pursue that a little bit more. For sure. I think I was only about six too. In The Spy Who Loved Me, in the Lotus Esprit versus the Helicopter Chase, the second he hits the pier and then shifts to go faster, I remember as a kid, like, he's going faster. This is great. What's going to happen? And then clean off into the ocean and then turns into a submarine. That's the exact moment I was like, okay, this is, this is for me. I just loved everything about that entire chase sequence. And then most James Bond films too, but that particular one is definitely what hooked me on film. We haven't had a chance to really get into the diversity of your portfolio. I know personally, and I want you to explain this as we go through this, that you've worked in a lot of sports, fast cars, music. You mentioned that as well. Do you have a pinch me moment as far as work goes? You're there at a shoot with an athlete, with a musician, 
with a car company where you went, I can't believe I'm here and I'm able to actually do this? Definitely. There's a few. The first one that comes to mind is I got a call really early one Saturday morning, about four or five years ago, and it was a contact from Amazon's The Grand Tour. And they'd heard that I had had a BMW M3, but I had actually just sold it about 72 hours prior and hooked up a BMW M2. But I did know where to get one because our very first client is BMW. So I was able to ring them up and say, I would really like to put your car in the Grand Tour. And so I picked up this M3 that morning, fired up to a Soyuz, got to meet Jeremy, James, and Richard. And then they enlisted myself and my friend Eden's help for three days because it was Thanksgiving here and they had run out of race tires and they didn't think to bring any with them. They're all very specific for the vehicles they had. So we went on this monster tour. So we went from here to Kelowna to a Soyuz down to Seattle, back to Vancouver and back to Kelowna in one go to get all of the race car tires for them. And they were so genuinely thankful. It was great. And then they had us hang out and do other stuff just on set for the next day and a half. And then gave us a fistful of cash, which I refused at first. They just wouldn't take no for an answer. I didn't want payment for that. But just talking to the three guys from the original Top Gear and them saying, wow, you did a crazy road trip for us was really an awesome pinch me moment, especially because of they're known for their epic road trips. And then we just hammered out a couple thousand kilometers for them. We're able to make the show work too. And then within that show, we got to hang out on the track and see how it's all put together. And I got to get some tips on putting car material together. So from the best, which is great. Well, it's pretty clear in hearing that answer and seeing your portfolio, just how much of a gearhead you are and how much that would mean to you. Jamie, I do want to come back to you here before we get on to the rest of the portfolio and some of the things you do. Just in general, Jamie, I'm wondering because you handle the post-production and you have to be interested in the material you're working with. What is it for you about the way that Nick creates video content that sets him apart in the industry and also inspires you in your job? Well, I think part of it is because he just gets so much joy out of the clients that we work with, clients that we film with, and that really translates into the footage, which just makes it so engaging to edit, right? That's definitely part of it. And also the cars, like there's so much fun and he loves cars. Yeah, the joy is a real thing. And Jamie can tell when I'm getting really engaged with a shoot and knows what it means to me, but also keep me on track to get what we need. We've done days at the racetrack on the island where we'll have our shot, but I'll be out for another 10 or 12 laps simply because I want to. So she can be like, all right, looks great. Let's let's get the rest of the spot. So it's kind of an added bonus to be uh, reined back in once in a month. Now, I imagine when you guys were first starting out, as it is with a lot of entrepreneurs or people just getting going in an industry, that you take business because you need business. But it would seem to me that you've been doing this long enough and you have a vast enough network that you can pick and choose to a certain extent the types of projects you work on now. So I'm wondering which factors you consider when you choose those projects that you put your time and effort into right now. I would say something we look at now because we do have sub crews, so we don't have to necessarily turn down the work, but we might give them a more affordable crew that has a more flexible mm -hmm. schedule. One thing I always think now that we have that luxury, which is great, is would we put it on our website? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Is it going to be good enough that it goes on our website to say, hey, this is the format we can do, or this is a story we can tell? Yeah. I think that's a big part of the bigger projects we take on going if we want to spend a month or two on this. Yeah. Is that worth it? Yes. And also a lot of our causes and stuff, like Aid Canada, mm -hmm. things like that. Does it have ultimately a purpose. So it might be more functional than stylish, but Jamie has done a lot of producing and editing for Aid Canada, which is the Autism Network. Mm -hmm. 
And those tools, they're not ads, they're tools that you use daily. It's really gratifying. It's just one of our favorite things to shoot yeah. because we know it's being applied and it's benefiting someone's and life. It, yeah, it's genuinely making a difference in people's lives, which to me, I, I find very gratifying. So. And it shows in your edits too. Yeah. Well, and that to me would provide a fairly natural segue into the question that probably some people have been wondering since we started this, which is why you're working with Little Kitchen Academy, because that's not music, that's not cars, that's not sports. So I'm wondering for both of you, what is it about Little Kitchen Academy that interested you in saying, yes, we would love to pursue this and have the opportunity to partner? Well, we don't have kids ourselves, so we get a lot out of the interaction yes. on set when we're filming, and yeah. we're actually learning a lot as we go as well. And it has coincided with Jamie has a twin sister mm -hmm. whose son Axel is two and a half years old, so the evolution of LKA has kind of paralleled that. Yeah. So we get to kind of watch how things happen there and then see them applied also with the nephew too. We're learning stuff all the time. Yeah. In fact, I think Jamie's using some of those techniques on me really. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's nice. We get to sort of see and learn from Felicity and the crew and then kind of go apply them with Axel. Yes. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's so much fun. I mean, kids in a kitchen, really, you can't get more fun than that. And Brian and Felicity are just lovely as well. So. Yeah. While the environment is exactly the same in all the locations as it should be, the children, you don't know what you're going to get out of them. No. You might have a moment that you just have to like drop everything else you're doing for and just move over. If one of the kids is doing something especially cute or constructive, it can change your plans on the fly pretty quick. It's a great environment to shoot. Like the energy in there is fantastic. There's not many environments like that. It's kind of counter to our other environments. It's not loud race cars. It's not loud concerts, but it's, it's peaceful and it's just a great place to spend time. So evolving with them as they're building up too is, is huge. That's something that we're really enjoying because we have crews in every major center in North America. So anywhere, they are, we can be to make sure it's consistent. And that's just really gratifying to build at the same rate. As a father of two young girls, I can confirm that yes, children can change your plans in an instant, depending on the behavior that they choose to exhibit at the time. But you bring up a really great point about the environment at Little Kitchen Academy, and very few adults ever get to be in there. There are the instructors, and obviously there are the franchise partners that get to be in there, and the team at Little Kitchen head office, but you are some of the chosen few who get to be in there and you get to interact and see what those students experience. So Nick, Jamie, I'm wondering what you see and what you feel in there that you're trying to capture on camera and then convey on video. Well, I love watching how each child is just so different in how they might approach something. Like one might want to spend a really long time grating cheese and watching the cheese, you know, fall and, and watching it change. Another kid might not care about that at all. They just want to grate the cheese and eat it. And I love that. Like I love watching them just experience things. There was one class that we were in recently and they were seasoning a vegetable. And the, the little child, he was so cute. He kept saying it looked like dirt. And then he would taste a little bit. And then I think it was Felicity that was with him. She'd say, okay, now taste it over here where there isn't any seasoning. And just him experiencing the differences and thinking that it looked dirty. And then she's like, well, maybe it's seasoning. It was just so cool. I love watching them just experience things. It's great. What about you, Nick? What have you experienced in that environment as someone who's behind the lens and you say, okay, I need to make the audience feel what I'm feeling right now. What is that feeling you're trying to get across? Probably just the honesty of their emotions in that moment. Mm -hmm. You're running the gamut. You can see happy, you can see learning, you can see frustrated, you can see trying something again, a different route. 
So we're trying to get it at that level. Even if you'll notice when you see our videos, we're filming at their eye level. We're not looking down from like what our eye level would be. It's more trying to get in there with them like we're one of the kids. And then the trick is to actually not distract them. They're really good about it too, yeah. which is amazing considering there's just a man with a camera right here in front of you. They're amazing about it. So for us, it's getting to the truth of the moment because they're experiencing something likely for the first time in some manner in each class. Nothing else is going to give us that on camera. It's just really unique that way. And especially on a teamwork level, you start to see them warm up over the course of a class. They'll physically start moving closer just to each other and talking to each other more and especially in the early classes when they're just getting to know each other. It's, it's really neat to watch. You can see it in the edit when you're scrubbing through. They start to just cinch up, which is really a crazy thing to see. There's not many environments that can give you that visually. And the other thing is just from a technical standpoint, it's a great place to shoot because it's all so well manicured and all the material palettes are amazing. So you can always make them look their best in any moment, which is good when you have to move quick, like I said, because they'll move quick on you. So if you have to go, you know that everything's still going to look great because everything's so perfect in there. It must be equal parts motivational, inspiring, and refreshing because so much production in the world we live in right now is planned and staged and Instagram this and Twitter that. Children don't operate that way. They operate in a very genuine, organic manner. And to be a part of that, I imagine it fills you up in what you do. Mm -hmm. It does. Like Absolutely. I said, not having your own kids, you kind of take the experiences where you can here yeah. and there. So that's a big part of it because we're seeing some of this stuff for the first time with the kids too. Mm -hmm. We don't know. We haven't raised any of that directly. It so, always makes me miss my nephew yeah. whenever we're there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. It's nice to kind of just... It's almost like stepping outside of our regular work. Because like I said, it's not stressful. It's like just going to hang out. Watching that is a learning experience for us and them. I didn't expect that going in. I never thought that I would be taking notes from my nephew. It's very gratifying. Well, I know the one question you expected coming into this interview was the one that every single person on this podcast gets asked. So I'm going to ask you both now, and you can choose which order you answer in Nick and Jamie. What is the one ingredient that is always in your kitchen and why? Well, I mean, joy for me. I'm a very cup half full kind of person. So I always like to approach things in that sense. So yeah, joy, I think would be mine. I'm very literal. So I was going to say turmeric. <laughs> From your grandma's curry yeah. turmeric. <laughs> Actually, cooking is a big passion of mine. My grandparents are amazing. One is still with us. One is not. But both were amazing cooks. They're from Burma and lived in India for a spell too. So I was raised on curries and lentils and dolls and things like that. So cooking would be in my top three of passions. It would be driving, bass guitar, and then cooking. Simply because I had to fend for myself pretty early on. My mom had a lot on her plate. Luckily, nothing she cooked because uh, cooking was definitely in my grandparents' realm. So I would walk down the street to grandma's. To my mom's credit, she was running the family. That's why she hears this. Great breadwinner. No, breadmaker. <laughs> but yeah, getting raised on the grandparents' food definitely taught me that it's a, a communal thing because I have eight aunts and uncles. So that would be where I would be at food time. And it was just like vats of rice and dal and curries. So same thing. It's joy, but um, it does remind me of my younger days and just having my large family around me all the time. So, so it's family for you. Family, family yeah, kind of, for sure. Yeah, food was definitely food. a, a result of that. That's to this day still. Oh, yeah. His family get-togethers are always food. 
everyone getting together yeah. and eating and, and being super social. And that's just, yeah, that makes sense for you. Yeah. Our house sitter is actually one of my aunts. So she yeah. can take us all away from her place because we're away so much. And we always come back to a great meal. Home-cooked meal. Yeah, home-cooked so meal, which is very much like what I would have in my childhood. So. And after being on the road and eating just, you know, whatever you're eating, coming back to a home-cooked meal is so nice. Yeah. There's a couple of tie-ins there because... Brian and Felicity always refer to it as the LKA family, which you two are a part of because of your affiliation with Little Kitchen. And then there's also the food and beverage part. And I know this is a loose tie-in, but Nick, you were in the food and beverage industry before you were a reporter, before you were doing what you did now. Can you explain what that role was? For sure. In my teens in Grand Forks, up in the Kootenays, I used to work in a place called River City Cappuccino. And it was just the best time ever. Super social, open late, back with the 90s cafe vibe. And after they shut down, there wasn't anything that really replaced it. So a few years later, I think I was 23 when I got the financing, I opened up my own version right on the main strip there. And it's still there to this day. I think 20 year anniversary is in about a month. So I kept it for a few years before doing the reporter and then the film school thing, but I got it up and running and then it's had two more since, but each one is added to it. So I learned a lot, especially with what not to do. At 23, you don't know everything. You never know everything, but especially at 23, it was it was a handful, but I'm really happy I did it and happy it worked out. It's backwards to what most people do. Most people get the restaurant more like at my age now, but I flipped it and it uh, worked out super well. It's focused on coffee, but we did do lunch and breakfast and stuff like that too. So and then I was able to sell that and help fund some of the living expenses for film school. So as far as the stepping stone, it was pretty great. But we'll still go there whenever we're in our hometown, Grand Forks. We always go. Yeah, and the music tie in there is it's named after a song by Bjork. So no one knows what it means up there, except for me. So it's called Jogas. We just wanted something simple. I'm going to Jogas. That's it. It was the song I was listening to while writing the business plan on repeat. I love it. And to me, just getting to know your story a little bit, the both of you, it does speak to the sense of spontaneity and the sense of adventure that you both seem to share in this life together. Is that a fair comment? Very fair. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Adventure is a great word for us. Not sure if I've mentioned it to you before, but we do a lot of documentary work, which takes us on pretty extreme adventures. So even when we're not filming, we're filming. Now, there's some jobs out there that are just that. They're jobs. You take the job, you do the job, you move on. And that's what it was. But there's others, and I think you've touched on a few here and there, that mean something to you. And I can tell that you've had those experiences in what you do whatever that reason is, which projects have been the most meaningful to each of you that you've worked on over the years? There was a Breonna Taylor special that we did, which for me, that meant a lot to me. The Aid Canada ones definitely do. And then the environmental docs that we've worked on as well. I would yeah. say those are sort of the three that are very, yeah, just because I know that they've helped people a lot. So yeah, yeah. for sure. The Breonna Taylor special was huge. That yeah. was really nice to be a part of. Yeah. It was also the most editing I've seen a human being do in four days. Oh, I don't think Jamie slept for easily three days to meet the deadline because it had to get out on TV and NBA player was sponsoring it. It was very important. And Jamie had a ridiculous amount of Red Bull and literally didn't sleep. No, I would sort of eventually sort of lose consciousness <laughs> on my computer and I'd sort of fall asleep for a little bit and wake up and then just keep going. But I, I didn't care because it was important and it needed to go out. And so it was fine. And it did really well. Yeah. But Jamie mentioned the environmental stuff. We've done a lot of environmental documentary work. So we've filmed a lot in Kenya on one trip, which was really gratifying. We did a bunch of segments about various animals that are on the verge of extinction. And we were doing 
rhinos out mm. there at Old Pedida in Kenya. And we went out with the anti-poaching crew, which was really intense, especially once we realized that it's not like anyone that's after them is going to cease fire because there's a film crew with them. So there was a bit of a light bulb moment there. But yeah, we got to tell stories of uh, a number of different animals. We did humpback whales in a place called Morea, just off Tahiti. Amazing. That was a pinch me moment for sure. Oh, yeah. But yeah, Kenya, we hung out with the last two northern white rhinos, yeah. and they're both females. So that was sobering. We had rhinos chase us behind our rental truck at one point. They forgot I was lying down because their vision isn't great. And I was filming low. I'm like, oh, the sun's behind. This is great. Kind of low behind some grass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't good. And I popped up a little too quickly. And then three of them chased us. And we were yeah. fine until the guides like, run. You've been very calm till now. But, yeah. but we actually have that on video. Looking back at it now, it's kind of funny. But whew, in the moment, yeah. that was an adrenaline rush for sure. Yeah, the truck wouldn't have done anything. They would have just tossed no. it too. He managed to calm them down. But I thought that might be the last bit of footage I ever shot. Nick, you used the word sobering there. And I think that's a connective tissue between that shoot that you just described and the one that you mentioned off the top, Jamie, the Brianna Taylor special that you worked on. Because as you know, that can be a pivotal moment for a viewer in how opinions are shaped, in how people choose to take action moving forward when something so tragic occurs, like the Brianna Taylor incident. How did the seriousness of that manifest itself in your editing, weighing that responsibility that you feel as a person to put this out in the proper manner? Well, I think that's actually what allowed me to do what I did because I mean, to stay awake for literally three days editing, it's not easy, right? So I think that is really what kept me going. It kept the motivation that I can do it. I can get this done because it's so important. So I think that that was definitely part of it. I remember Jamie was feeling a lot of pressure on yeah. that. She's like, I can't be the one that lets this down. No. Like it's all filmed. We've had senators come on. We've had NBA players come on. And yet the pressure on her was immense because ultimately yeah. it's in the editor's hands before it's to whoever's screening it, TV channel. Mm -hmm. So the pressure, I think, on the end of the yeah. third day was as high as we've had. And just from a sense of pride and, you know, the importance of the story, I know that was a big one. I didn't want to let anyone down by not being able to accomplish it, but it was also a pretty large task almost undoable, frankly. So I didn't want to let anyone down either, right? But we did it. It actually, I can't remember what the award was, but it did actually win. Oh yeah, it did. Like, yeah. 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 yeah, I was nominated for a bunch and won at least one. So yeah, it was well worth it in the end. Screening it on TV, like we sent it in and I think it was screening the very next day. So yeah. we're both just there with sweaty palms going, I hope everything is fine on a technical level. We knew the story was sound, but Technical stuff can happen. So For sure. thankfully it was great and worked I, out really, really well. And the amount of press that got was immense. We've never had our phones blow up like that ever. And I wouldn't have it any other way. That's the one you want to blow up your phone at two in the morning. Yeah. Look at this. But it's nerve wracking. Yeah, a lot of stress. With all of the projects you've worked on and you produce some amazing work, there are a lot of people that are going to pat you on the back. And as you said, your phones blew up when that special came out. What is the type of comment that really resonates in that moment, the one that is most meaningful to you. You don't have to necessarily say who it came from, but what impacts you when you read it? Well, that's just it. When someone would say maybe that they didn't necessarily know the whole story of what happened or, or things like that, that maybe that it was eye-opening for them, that they were able to actually watch that and see it for actually what it was. Yeah, definitely. I remember getting yeah. a lot of comments in that vein. And also because it was independently produced, it didn't have a large corporation's mm -hmm. 
light cast on it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So it's not steered any direction. You're hearing from the actual people and you're getting fact for fact. So it's real documentary because the word documentary can get pretty loose now in its application, but that one is yeah. unencumbered by any other sort of oversight. So I think that was really why it did so well. Nick, you mentioned the NBA when we were talking about the Brianna Taylor special and that NBA players were involved. It's certainly the most outspoken league where the players feel safe enough and secure enough to speak on relevant issues and other leagues are coming along, but the NBA to me is at the forefront of that movement. Now I know teenage Nick was a basketball guy, loved basketball. So I'm wondering what teenage Nick would have said to adult Nick, who's working with star NBA players and going on these video shoots. What would he have said? I think about that quite a bit because it's, yeah, it's not something I expected to happen, especially at this rate. I've lost track of how many players I've gotten to hang out with, film with. Yeah, I don't think I would believe me at that point, especially being Grand Forks. There's a little bit of basketball there in the 90s, not not very much three-on-three tournaments and stuff. But to look ahead and go, wow, I've hung out with Isaiah Thomas, which is amazing, but I'm a Bulls fan, so I was a bit hesitant going in because I'm like, I should dislike you, but you're a great dude. And then um, one of the recent ones was I was on Damian Lillard's court at his house in Portland, shooting hoops with him. I'm like, yeah, this is not your normal day. This is really, really nuts. So yeah, I would definitely not believe that I get to do that. I love that part of this job. Like anything basketball in there, even some of them are like, wow, you know a lot about the NBA, which I take as a compliment. That's great. Cause I know nothing about any other sport. I always have to research anytime we're doing stuff with other stars. I always tell him sometimes that when we're having a cool moment like that to just take a step back and to just like look and see what we've been able to accomplish and how we've been able to grow as much as we have and to just take it all in for a moment. Is there one player in particular, one celebrity on a shoot that has been more impactful than another? Getting to know Chris Paul, the point guard, has been great. We've done a number of shoots together and just it's been more impactful because you start off, you know, doesn't know who you are whatsoever and then you get a bit of familiarity and then you become first name basis. And then on the last shoot, Keith, thanked me, which was funny because he was saving the day at the end for being a very precise director. He had a very specific amount of time and I set my watch in front of him. Like, if you tell me it's that precise, it's going to be that precise. So I wrapped him exactly at his deadline because he was subbing in for a different player that couldn't make it. And there was a level of respect gained right there that I, I won't forget that anytime soon. It was great. He was good enough to come over on the lunch break from his kids camp in LA to fill in for a different point guard that uh, couldn't make it on the show. So when he says, I've got this much time, I just took him for his word, which him being one of the most precise NBA players ever, I kind of figured was a safe bet. And sure enough, it worked out really well. He did really appreciate that. He kind of looked at you like, what, really? You're actually following what I've asked? And he was genuinely appreciated. Yeah, I like that kind of moment where you start to be able to communicate Mm -hmm. on a much more in-depth level. I do want to tie this back to Little Kitchen Academy just for a second, because it seems like your network is expanding and your lives are expanding. And a similar fashion. You talked about your nephew growing basically on the same timeline as Little Kitchen Academy and their franchising. You guys are getting more locations. You're going more places around the world. So where do you see yourselves in a year, two years, five years from now? What adventures would you like to go on? Adventures professionally or just adventures in general? Well, it seems to me that they both work hand in hand with you too. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they, do. They, they definitely do. Yeah. Well, we're going to the Bahamas for yeah. what is now our honeymoon. It wasn't when we booked it. It was just a vacation. 
it ended up timing out perfectly. So we're going to Exuma, yep. which is a little island in, in the Bahamas. But that's not work. It's just, well, honeymoon. So. Yeah. <laughs> and then we love Iceland. So always, always back to Iceland. Yeah. Iceland's a big thing for us. We just adore it there. So. But for work, I mean, just bigger and better. Keep growing. Yeah. To keep this balance yeah. going. Because sure, we're hanging out with NBA players, but they're telling important stories. So mm -hmm. it's not just superficial and, and being a fan. It's helping them get really important messages that... I've witnessed and seen from different angles since I was started watching NBA at page nine. So being able to help them do that and get the, the kick out of hanging out with them, that's the line we want to just keep balanced perfectly. I think it helps also because as partners, we both have a very similar work ethic. So it's nice because we both are driven. We both want to keep growing and keep seeing where we'll, we'll end up. So I think it really helps as partners being that we both really want to grow and, and succeed. That's true. Aligning the work ethic is something we take for granted. Not everyone has the same level. Like not everyone wants to do 16 hours a day for eight days straight to achieve a thing. And we're trying to find the balance too, though, because we also don't want to burn out. We've only just figured that out in the last two months that we probably should get a little bit of work-life balance. It's the problem when you love what you do, though, is you yeah. take it for granted. And that we both love what we do together and that we can kind of lean on each other when, say, one of us is having like a day where we're just really tired and we need a day the other one will kind of you know fill in for that person but it does keep us going pretty much 24 7. <laughs> that's a great place to point out that it's not just us we do have a nice yes. team that's always evolving and our number one guy real mcguire who has filmed almost as much as we have at little kitchen academy is a godsend for things like that that we can plan to have a little bit of life because he's a master of everything in the film industry he can do a bit of everything so he's really important to what we do here it's very clear that neither of you have lost your sense of enthusiasm or the joy that you have for what you do. And an anecdote that was passed on to me is that, Nick, you've been in the environment at Little Kitchen Academy, your $25,000 camera, and you're willing to hand it over to a child who very well may drop it. Why is that? Well, I might inspire them. I remember the first camera that was handed to me. It was a Canon High 8 So that led pretty great places for me. Maybe one of the kids will see it the same. It's funny, I didn't hand my newest camera to a kid a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, it was a bit risky, but I kept my hands sort of under. But no, they did a great job. It's the heaviest camera I have too. They did a really good job, come to think of it. But yeah, they even knew like which hand was which and everything. So yeah, they can inspire them that they want to get into visual arts down the road in some form. Great. And some of the kids love the camera. Like they want in front of it and they get so cute and so silly. And it makes great footage though, because they just turn it up to turn up to eleven. <laughs> yeah, it's fun picking them out when they're taking oh, yeah. off their coats and putting on their Birkenstocks. You're like, okay, I think you're gonna like the lens a lot. You're gonna yeah. warm up and it's, it's great. <laughs> I am getting really good at choosing yeah. which ones too. And then the ones that are in their own world are every bit as interesting. Oh, they're yeah. super intense and focusing on things. Yeah, that's a good mix. Well, and I don't mean this to suggest that you're not both responsible adults, because it's very clear you are, but you seem to have that kid in a candy shop mentality about what you do and the adventures you're going on together in life. This has been a great conversation. Thank you both very much for doing this, and I wish you all the best moving forward in all of your adventures. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen?